We have uh, so many stories to get to with the Star Tribune editorial board represented by Scott Gillespie and John Rash. I'm jumping right in. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. John, as always, I'll start with you. The latest book on the presidency of Donald Trump is from the guy, Bob Woodward. In this case, working with uh, Bob Costa. Also, he's off to an excellent career. A lot of stories that Costa has broke for the Washington Post, and the big headline that came out yesterday is that General Milley, the head of the Joint Chiefs, had reached out to China not once but twice, basically to calm them down, that, trust me, our government may be unstable at this time, that our president may be saying things that may concern you because Milley was picking up on that China was concerned about potentially a, a nuclear attack or an attack of some sort, but that Milley reached out twice to say nothing is going to happen. And by the way, if anything happened, I would reach out to you. To the surprise of no one, uh, the 45th president, Donald Trump, was furious, called it treason. A number of people with a military background said Milley went too far, including people who haven't been that sympathetic to Donald Trump. Today, Milley's office came out, and by the way, if you thought they're going to deny it, no, they did not deny it. They defended it, and also you have the president now, Joe Biden, saying he has 100% confidence in the general. What do you think, John? Did he do, in his mind, the right thing, or did he go beyond his role when he reached out to a country that at times as our ally, but more often, to be blunt, is our adversary. Well, first, it's quite striking that after all the Trump tell-alls, that everyone can be so surprised by a revelation, but indeed Bob Woodward has done it again. And this is an extraordinary story on all levels. And I think it's important to note that it wasn't only General Milley who had concerns. There were multiple people within the administration, including from a legal perspective, his own attorney general, William Barr, and the head of the CIA, Gina Haspel, who thought that we were moving towards what she called a slow coup. And so this is an action that General Milley clearly thought was important. And when you think of important, there is nothing more essential than avoiding a thermonuclear war with a country with multiple warheads like China has at this point. So certainly it's extraordinary, not necessarily unprecedented. Um, uh, James Schlesinger, during the end of the Nixon administration, Mm -hmm. had to reach out to ally and adversary alike and reassure him because of President Nixon's unstable condition at the height of Watergate. And certainly, I think many people, while they wish something like this wouldn't have had to happen, if it avoided direct conflict with China, it may have been essential. Scott, when you jump in, I just want to add another thing. It is breathtaking to think. And by the way, anybody's going to say fake news. We've just refuted it because the general himself has has confirmed that he did it. It is breathtaking to think, as John laid out, it's more than just the general who were either terrified um, because concern is not enough, frightened and willing to potentially go beyond where they ever thought they would have to go to prevent something or to potentially prevent something that they felt President Trump might do. 
And I think it's important, Chad, to note that that was true not only uh, around January 6th and before the election results were certified. That was true of, you know, the final year of turmoil, at least a year in the Trump administration. Uh, more and more, we read and, uh, and heard from uh, people within the administration who uh, were concerned about Trump's uh, stability. And, um, you know, we, we, you can put together a long list of those incidents and those people. This is, of course, because of the uh, uh, nuclear war uh, being a, a, a potential concern. But General Milley, uh, you know, this is the most important uh, development. But we certainly saw the, these issues of instability throughout the end of the Trump presidency. Scott, let's switch to California. Um, because of the way politics work out, work, uh, out there, uh, it's not that rare. We have a recall effort. We've talked about this before, and we had another one yesterday with Gavin Newsom where he ended up decisively winning 64 to 36%. I'm just pushing back on a lot of what I've read today that this shows the Democrats the perfect map to defeat the Republicans in 22 and 24 that you run against Donald Trump. I know they're going to do that, but we're also talking about one of the most liberal states in the country. Gavin Newsom was running against Larry Elder, who's paid to be a provocative talk show host for decades, and he was. I just think it was a perfect circumstance for Newsom and the Democrats. And I'm far from convinced this is showing me this perfect plan for the Democrats and it's going to work state after state after state. I think your uh, skepticism about that is well, well placed. This is a deeply blue state, as you say. And uh, the, it was fairly easy in this case for the Democrats to move the voters, move the electorate off the idea of this being a referendum on Newsom's performance once Elder surfaced as a basically a Trump acolyte. Uh, that worked, worked terrifically for them in a recall election in California. But you're right. It doesn't necessarily work uh, across the country. Uh, certainly what not do you think, in John? purple states and red states. Yeah. Sorry about that. What do you think, John? I concur with Scott, and I think that to the same degree that in deeply blue states that they'll try to make certain candidates and ideas a referendum on President Trump, certainly the Republicans will invert it in 22 and 24 and make it a referendum on President Biden. And history is replete with examples of the incumbent being the key candidate on the ballot, even if his name isn't there in a congressional race, as an example. And in almost every single post-war race, you've seen the presidential party lose seats in the midterm. So they're certainly going to try to pin a whole lot of what's happening in the nation and the world on President Biden. So it does work both ways. I think it um, does also show the limitations of this kind of an election. And, you know, you look at it in California used to be a much more competitive state and indeed one where presidential 
candidates and presidents themselves, Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, as just two examples, you know, came from. And now you have a state where the party forced a referendum election that cost a quarter of a billion dollars amid a pandemic and economic crises throughout the country and the world. And they produce Larry Elder, who, among the many controversial things that you had mentioned, called for reparations for former slave owners, not former slaves. And certainly the Republican Party can and should do much, much better than that. All right, let's finish uh, both of you on Minneapolis. I don't believe in the last 10 minutes we've had a another judicial decision on yes for Minneapolis, but I'll have to check because they're, they're coming fast and furious. We had the decision late yesterday afternoon, Judge Anderson in Hennepin County saying that the new language still uh, doesn't hold up to her requirements. Even before that, Terrence Moore, John, the attorney for the group pushing for the charter changes had said we should get this to the Supreme Court. I want to ask this one. Which side do we think this is more energizing if anything gets on the ballot? Because we've got a Friday deadline. So if something gets on the ballot and we've had this legal volleyball back and forth, Do you get a sense whether this motivates those folks who want the change? Does it further motivate the folks who, I'm not saying they want status quo, but they want the confines in the the construct that we have. Do you have a feeling on that one? Indeed, I do. And I think that those who were already advocating for this were already energized. What this has done is to point out to the rest of the public not only the questions about the ballot, but the questions about the issue itself and how completely unprepared the city is if indeed the vote yes does succeed in terms of there's not a specific concrete plan of we move from A to B. And I think that that really might energize the no side as well. And, you know, as we tragically continue to get crime rates at a generational high, it will give a lot of people some very deep pause before they want to do something to dismantle the existing structure, especially when a replacement isn't immediately at hand. How about you, Scott? I think it's uh, beneficial to the, to those who oppose the ballot question because it has brought much greater attention to it. Um, You know, it was already getting a fair amount of of attention and as it should, it's a, it's a major change for the city. Uh, And, uh, but I think it's gotten way more attention. And actually I think in a, in a city election where turnout traditionally is going to be low, um, you're going to get the people who you're going to get the yes votes. They were actively involved in this and, and, and and you're going to get that. I think this is probably motivates and help those who oppose the language. And there was one, I don't know if uh, uh, one development that is very recent uh, is that the Supreme court justice did ask the attorneys to file informal memoranda by five o'clock today. So that's a, that's a new development in the last few minutes. Uh, And I don't know what that means exactly. If that means for certain that we'll have the Supreme Court weighing in on this uh, before Friday voting starts or not. But but it but they're definitely looking at the case. If they don't, 
then I guess at this point we would say there's no there's nothing on the ballot, right? Well, it's on the ballot because the ballots have been printed. But the, what yeah. the Hennepin County judge uh, ordered was that yeah. the uh, I, yeah. then there'd, there'd have to be this uh, <clears throat> there'd have to be a uh, bulletin of sorts with each ballot yes. a notice saying yeah. telling voters, hey, this is on here, but you don't need to vote on it. And in fact, if, they're not going to be counted. Right. So better, yeah. much better explanation. Yep. Uh, gentlemen, always a pleasure. Enjoy this uh, gorgeous afternoon, and we'll talk next week. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, Chad. John Rash, Scott Gillespie, Star Tribune editorial board. As an example, if you join that conversation late, the Odyssey app, Rewind feature, and again, podcast as WCCRadio.com slash Chad. Two excellent guests coming up next hour. I'll tell you about them when we come back.